Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. The wrong time to ask for money is when you actually need it. So if you can get those programs set up ahead of time, just in case that you need it towards the end of a raise, it's going to be a lot less stressful for you. And you'll be able to close a lot smoother in case you needed to use those plan B options. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Chad Zdenek. Chad is joining us from Los Angeles. He is currently a real estate syndicator and investor. Prior to real estate, he's been a rocket scientist. Then he was a business owner who completed a successful sale of his business while he had 75 employees to dive into real estate. He's the founder of CSQ Properties, which acquires, repositions, and manages apartments and self-storage across the United States with almost $200 million in assets under management currently. Chad, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Been listening to you guys for a while, so uh, glad to be on and share my story with you guys. I kind of had a unique path in that I started out technically as a rocket scientist working for Rocketdyne on the space shuttle main engines. I did that for seven years before my entrepreneurial bug got the best of me and joined with my brother in doing a startup, which was a lighting business here in Los Angeles built that up, basically just him and I. Actually, there's three brothers. We're all at UCLA at the same time for one year. We all overlapped. And I was getting my MBA at the time and used his business as my pet project in entrepreneurial studies. And then it was kept growing and growing and he recruited me over to join him full time. So I did that for the next 17 years, built it up from just me, him and a few workers to about 75 people. When I finally left, he bought me out and I was able to go into real estate full-time at that point. And that was in 2018, 2019 timeframe. And somewhere in there, I had a two-year stint in construction management, got my contractor's license. So I like to say that I went back to real estate, but more on the investment side rather than transactional construction type stuff. So I've been doing that ever since. We purchase multifamily properties and self-storage properties 
throughout the United States, although I did start in LA, which has been a challenge in of itself, being a landlord here in LA. But now I have properties in several different states as well. Chad, when is it that you were a construction manager? So I did that when I was getting my civil engineering undergraduate degree. And I worked for a large commercial firm for two years doing construction management on large commercial projects. And then shortly after that, I got my contractor's license and I would do construction jobs when I was doing the lighting business. When it was slow, I'd fill that work in with the seismic engineering, consulting and general construction type stuff. So kind of a rare case of somebody who's very detailed when it comes to engineering and technical. So I got my master's in structural engineering as well but then very hands-on on the construction side. So I enjoy both sides of that business, which is, is pretty rare, I think. Chad, I have a strange question that I really want to ask you. We've had quite a few California-based investors on this show since I've been interviewing for the past almost two years. I am a Cincinnati-based apartment investor, owner-operator. I do my own plus third-party property management, construction management, and HVAC. I'm a registered general contractor with the city of Cincinnati. I can pull general permits. We pull all our own HVAC permits as well. The reason I'm saying all of this is because my question coming from Ohio is, what is a contractor's license? We don't actually have that. And I feel like this is an important distinction for some of our listeners to understand the level to which quote-unquote contractors are regulated in different states, parts of the country, different municipalities is, is vastly different. So tell us, what is a contractor's license? Moreover, how is it that contractors are being regulated by the state of California? Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I grew up here in LA, third generation LA actually. So that's all I ever knew was the bureaucracy and regulation of California, which I'm right. learning is a lot different than other states. And currently, I'm helping my brother out. He's still running that lighting business, and we're actually working on building out a new electrical division in that company. So I've been networking with other electricians from other states, and I said, oh, yeah, we have our C10 license and our general contractor's license. And they're like, okay, what is that? What does that mean? I thought it was universal, but then when I dove into it, you're right. It is very state-specific. So we have the Contractor State License Board, and we have the Department of Consumer Affairs that regulate engineering side and the construction side. So in order to be a licensed general contractor in the state of California, you have to have four years of experience. You need to have three or four letters of recommendation from other licensed contractors that you've worked with. And then you need to pass two exams, a law exam and a, a trades exam, at least on the GC side. So yeah, the licensing is pretty elaborate here. But once you get that license, you can tell it, it's a barrier of entry for people that maybe don't take it seriously or aren't qualified. And that's how the state of California regulates it here. And they do the same side, by the way, on the electrical side and even HVAC. So they have all these different licenses that you need to have in order to officially be able to do the work, in order to get insurance, in order to get bonded. So you have to show that you're licensed by the state of California. Chad, I'm very inclined to say that I wish that states like mine, like Ohio and Kentucky, where I also 
do some work. We're more regulated with a higher barrier to entry to be a licensed contractor like California. At the same time, I recognize the value as an investor of being able to get more affordable labor, recognizing that sometimes you're taking a risk with it. Thinking like a general contractor, I would much rather tackle a higher barrier to entry myself and know that there is some baseline of trust that can be fostered with clients in general, just knowing that I have that kind of licensure that doesn't exist here. I got everything else though. So we get to 2018, 2019, and you have construction management experience, civil engineering degree, contractor's license. You have had the experience of helping a founder build a business from that or from other parts of your background. What is it that compels you to get into real estate syndication? So during growing the business, we worked with a really high-end clientele here in LA, at least on the residential side, very large homes, wealthy people, investors, celebrities, and whatnot. And I'd always come across people that had made money in real estate. So I was always intrigued by that part of it. I bought my first investment properties in 2015. So I started dabbling in it myself. And then once I sold the business, I had enough equity and capital to really dive into it. But I'd always known people that had made a lot of wealth in real estate. So that's kind of what got me initially intrigued by it. And you hear a lot about the tax advantages. You hear about the kind of the advantages with leverage. And I like to say it's kind of like riding a bike where you could see someone riding a bike. You say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I think I could probably do it. But until you actually hop on the bike and do it, then you really realize it. And for me, that happened in real estate when I filed my first tax return. And I got a huge refund back of my taxes. And I'd always heard about that. But until you actually see it in front of you, then it really clicks. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I made the right decision. And now I've been trying to help as many people as I can come along that journey to create their own passive income streams, largely protected from taxes, using leverage to increase the proceeds from those investments and bring people along for the journey. So within your general partnerships, are you the primary sponsor wearing all the hats or are there particular roles that you specialize in within partnerships? It kind of depends on the deal. And again, I think this is probably a little bit unique. My first syndication that I did, I did as a solo general partner. So I was the only GP on the team and I had to find the property. I had to work with the brokers sign on the debt, secure the financing, raise the money from investors, do the due diligence, hire the property manager, hire the GC, do the refis. I did everything from A to Z as a solo GP. And I did that for my first several deals that were here in, in California. And then I started to partner with other people as a co-GP, a co-general partner. And I would say in those deals, my role would depend on the deal, depending on what the team needs. So I tend to be pretty versatile because I've done all aspects of syndication and I do that for my own deals. And then depending on the partnership team, they may need somebody who's more on the capital raising side, or they may need somebody who's on the asset management side, or maybe someone who's more on the construction side. So it depends on what's needed. That'll kind of dictate what I'm bringing to any particular team. But for all of my out-of-state stuff, I've only done it with other general partners. 
and they're much larger deals. So personally, I would not want to do a really large deal out of state on my own. It's just way too much risk and frankly, too much work. There's just way too much work on these large deals for one person. But you find good partnerships and you can get a really successful team together and take down some pretty large projects. What are the markets across the country that you are in deals in? So like I mentioned, Southern California, but then I'm also in Texas, Florida, North Carolina, and Alabama. What is it that attracted you to those markets? I guess maybe to use the racetrack analogy, I like to start with the jockey, which is a partnership team, whereas the horse would be the property and the track itself is the market. So I kind of live by the philosophy bet on the jockey in this example. And for me, that's the partnership team. So I put a lot of time and effort into getting to know partners, investing in their deals as a limited partner when I can, and developing those relationships through different mastermind groups, and then relying on the partner's local expertise in that market for what might be a good area to invest in. I'm that guy in Southern California because this is my backyard. But when I'm investing in other backyards, I really lean on the partners. And I start at the top with the partnership team. And anybody who's in real estate long enough, they'll tell you that all deals end up having issues and problems. Something always comes up. And it's really the partnership team that are the ones responsible for managing through that challenge. And I found that having a good team that you can trust makes all the difference. I'd rather have a mediocre deal, but a solid team rather than having a solid deal with a mediocre team. Because when those issues arise, you really got to hit it head on and you got to have some experience behind you in order to make your way through those challenges. So it's the teams of people, the people that you would be partnering with that took you into Texas, Alabama, Florida, North Carolina. That makes a lot of sense. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you primarily looking to execute on a value-add business plan with a roughly five-year hold targeting an internal rate of return? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I'd say the value-add deal has always been really important to me, partly because of my background in construction, but certainly in uncertain markets, it's nice to have a value add component that's going to create some more tailwinds for you. And what I mean by that is if you're buying, let's say, a stabilized deal somewhere, you're going to be more or less at the whims of the market to, to determine how that project performed long term. 
Whereas if you have a value add component to it, you could still be somewhat at the whims of the market. So you got to do your homework on what type of market and where you're buying and so forth. What is your property management strategy with that property? You still need to do all those things. But if you have a value add component part of it, then you know you're going to have some forced appreciation in that project. And that can really help you regardless of which way your market wins might be going. Now, that being said, you got to be really careful in this market with debt. The people that are in trouble right now are mostly in trouble because of the debt side of the business. And I'm still acquiring right now. I've got two deals I'm in escrow on as we speak. So I'm very much a buyer right now. But you really got to make sure you shore up the debt piece in this environment because that's causing a lot of distress for properties right now. They're having the wrong debt. How has debt played into the success of your business plans and your properties thus far, Chad? Fortunately, we're on a five-year fixed debt on almost all of our properties, which is great. We do have two properties that are on variable rate loan, but we do have interest rate caps on that, which means if a rate goes above a certain amount, then we get a refund for the difference that it goes above that amount. So it's almost like an insurance hedge against rising rates. That's really important. It's really the bridge loan these one to three year type bridge loans where people are having problems because they're refinancing into a higher debt market than they anticipated. But if you can lock up longer term debt early on and even negotiate some extensions on that debt ahead of time, then you can do pretty well in this debt environment. Understanding, Chad, that we are not in the business of making any particular investment opportunities available to any listeners through this podcast. What types of returns are you currently projecting for deals you're putting in escrow in the third quarter of 2023? I would say good disclaimer, because we're not offering anything on the podcast, but generally I would say probably 14 to 17% you can still do. But That's I think an IRR, correct? Yes, yeah, sorry, as an IRR. But I think it's important not to get too caught up in the IRR game, if you will. I really think that you got to look at not just the annualized returns, but you really got to look at the risk profile of the deal. For instance, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but there are 12% IRR deals right now that are performing better than a 20% IRR deal is performing right now, depending on how the underwriting was set up and depending on what kind of risk profile that deal had. Chad, is that just a difference in the underwriter and the way that the deal was spreadsheeted up front? Or are you saying that there's a difference in the way that those deals may be cash flowing currently or riding out rough waters in the market? When I was referring to hindsight, I was assuming what the exit would look like also, which is typically what you need to do to do an IRR calc. So I haven't really gone into the cash flows of these deals, but I guess the uncertainty is partly done because of the underwriting, but it's the assumptions that are made during the underwriting. So the underwriting is the underwriting, it's done. But then as you're moving along on these deals, different things happen. The markets shift, migration patterns change, tax incentives change, the cap rates change, debt changes. There's a lot of change that occur all the time. And my point is, is that being a conservative, let's say a class A property in a primary market that's going to have a lower cap rate, you could get into those deals and they might cash flow a little bit less than, let's say, a tertiary market type deal. But during market swings, 
you would typically see bigger swings on those tertiary market deals. They tend to have bigger fluctuations. So I think it's important for people to really dive into their own risk profile. What are they comfortable with from an investment standpoint? And then try to match that up with different risk profiles of different deals. Because it's not a one-size-fit-all, and an 18% IR deal is not better than a 12% IR deal. It really depends on what your tolerance is for risk, what your portfolio looks like, and ultimately how the deal is going to be operated. Have you, since 2018, 2019, always invested in apartments and self-storage in tandem? Or did you start with one and add the other asset class in order to balance out the return profile that you were personally receiving and offering to investors? It's a really good question. So I actually started out as a multifamily guy in Southern California in 2018. I'd been doing multifamily properties. And then eventually I started diversifying outside of California and then furthermore diversifying into self-storage. So I definitely didn't start out both at the same time. And it's been a very deliberate strategy to try to diversify a bit more in other areas and different asset classes. I think some people might look at real estate as an asset class, but anyone who's in real estate knows there are tons of subclasses within there that perform totally different from one another, different markets, different asset classes within real estate. So you really can diversify quite a bit which I think is a pretty good strategy. And it's something that I've been doing with my own portfolio and with my investors. That makes a lot of sense. Chad, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? I would say The One Thing by Gary Keller with the premise of the book being, what's the one thing you can do today so that everything else is either easier or unnecessary? And it gets for me I'm also an ADHD guy. I tend to be distracted by lots of things. And so this book's kind of helped me to hone in. What's the one thing that I can focus on today that's going to help make everything easier? And it's been a great book for me. For those listeners who know me personally, it will not surprise you to know that in my pre-show notes for every interviewee, I mentioned that I have ADHD just to set them at ease for the way that I behave during these interviews. Chad, what is your best ever way to give back? I'd say that's kind of changed over time. Earlier on, I donate a lot of money, but now my cash is in, in real estate, so I don't have free cash to donate anymore. So I don't do that as much. I actually owned a sober living home for women and kids that I owned and operated for seven years. That was a good way I give back. And I'd say most recently, I'm a part of several different mastermind groups within real estate. And I tend to do a lot of unofficial mentoring and coaching and helping other real estate professionals improve what they're doing. Chad, on properties that you have acquired, deals you've done, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? That's a good question. I would say the biggest mistake is probably not having a plan B on the equity capital side. If you can't raise all the money for a deal, you could run into some problems pretty quickly. And I've gotten into some hot water in that. Not that I didn't figure it out, but it certainly caused some problems. I didn't have a readily available plan B in case the money couldn't be raised. So one of the things I learned to do 
is to have gap funding or hard money funding set up ahead of time, or at least lined up so that I knew what I was going to do. Because as you might've heard, or people have heard, the wrong time to ask for money is when you actually need it. So if you can get those programs set up ahead of time, just in case that you need it towards the end of a raise, it's going to be a lot less stressful for you. And you'll be able to close a lot smoother in case you needed to use those plan B options. And Chad, what is your best ever advice? I would say best ever advice is get started. Wherever you're at in your journey, get started. I think real estate is a tried and true way for investing. We like to say the two best times to invest in real estate are 20 years ago and today. There's money to be made in every market. Sometimes you just got to look a little bit harder. But I would just say, get started, take action, move forward and get started. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? The best place is probably our website is CSQ Properties, like Challenge Status Quo, csqproperties.com, or anywhere on social media is just at CSQ Properties. Those links are in the show notes. Chad, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend so that we can add value to them as well. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.